We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. Myself, Mark Crossell, Lou Stagner, and Scott Fawcett. As always, we're going to be talking about Rory McIlroy and his pairing up with Pete Cowan, his new coach, um, what it might mean for him. Uh, it should be a fun episode. Pete's got a fantastic resume with many world-class players, and let's hope he can get Rory where Rory wants to get to. should be a fun episode. Welcome, Lou and Scott. Pete Cowan, have you, what's your understanding over that side of the pond of Pete Cowan? I presume you don't really know too much about Pete, do you? Or do you, uh, Scott and Lou? I mean, I certainly know who he is and have heard his name quite a bit. I, I definitely am not as familiar with him as I would be the the Chris Comos and whatnot on this side of the pond. But uh, he's obviously, you know, got a, an amazing track record and worked with tons of great players. So I, I, I think it sounds like a great play. Yeah, and Lou, have you heard of Pete Cowan before this partnership? No, I, I've heard of him. I just don't know a whole lot about him. Um, but yeah, definitely heard of him. Yeah, so I mean, I haven't been to a European tour event that Pete Cowan kind of hasn't been at, or certainly one of his team as well. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a coach that generally lives on the European tour. He's had some great results. I'm pretty sure he was teaching Stenson when he won the Open, along with many other people I know... Um, Westwood's used Pete Cowan. I, mean, I think nearly every European tour player at some point has used Pete Cowan in the past. He is definitely a very experienced and got a great resume, as I say, as, as, a, as a what we call a tour coach, I guess. Um, what do you think it means that Rory's changed his coach as well? What, what do you think he's looking for, guys? You know, in my experience, especially, you know, just sitting here searching a little bit on Pete, you know, you just see, you know, Pete Cowan, 70s, worked with several players, you know, Brooks Kepka, Henrik, Poulter, McDowell, Danny Will, like, you know, Sergio, Darren Clark, I mean, Westwood, they're all great names. And I would probably say he's probably very similar to a Butch Harmon, where he's just good at talking people into playing good golf. I, I will say, obviously, I'm not an instructor. But I do feel like a lot of times I can just have a conversation with players just talking about the realities of shot patterns, the realities of how hard working it both ways is, and just kind of talk them into playing better golf. And I bet you a guy like this at 70 and his experience. And again, I, I think that too many modern instructors give Butch and even Claude, you know, by transient property a little bit too hard of a time because they maybe aren't as, you know, up on modern lingo and terminology and everything. 
but you look at the list of players that go to these guys, they're just good at getting people to shoot better scores. And Rory, I mean, he's not going to change that swing that much, hopefully, because he damn sure doesn't need to change his swing very much. He just needs to get back to his fingerprint of who he is. I do think that great players just have a fingerprint. You know, DJ's got a super strong grip, somehow gets it square. Bryson's got a super weak grip, somehow gets it square. Their fingerprint matches, you know, matchups like our earlier podcast. Indeed, yeah. Matchups It just, they know how to get guys seeing targets, seeing and or feeling shapes, and then get out of their way. Let them run. Absolutely. Lou, what do you think? What do you think Rory's after? What's he searching? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you, you read that people think he's lost at the moment. And um, I don't know why they would think he's lost. When you look at his results this year. They're crazy, eight, aren't they? Eighth, 21st, 17th, 5th, 16th, 13th, missed cut, 6, 10, missed cut. There, uh, there are players, there's so many players out there that, that would consider that a remarkable run, right? And a phenomenal run, consistency. There's a couple of missed cuts in there. He still made eight of 10 cuts um, and no crazy high finishes in a, in a, a number of top tens. Um, so when was his last major? When was his last major? Because obviously Rory is meant to be contesting Tiger. Rory is meant to be winning you know 12 majors isn't he like that's maybe we're thinking that's what rory is thinking in his mind uh, he's won majors in that classic dominant style isn't he where he's literally gone out there and wiped the field away we know he's got that kind of game um he's definitely i thought it was quite interesting which we've mentioned on this podcast and it's he publicly mentioned when he went for his distance ideas when he missed the cut at sawgrass you know he felt like he got it wrong he you know chasing distance chasing bryson got to get back to his game so maybe he just needs those strong personalities and minds around him to help him focus on his fingerprint as Scott calls it and I think with your Butch and Claude uh, ideas there Scott I kind of agree with you I, I I do think I would it's unfair to say I not I don't know about Butch but Claude is pretty up to date with modern terminology I, I know he does get maybe a little bit I know no doubt he saying. just doesn't walk around saying it like a yeah, textbook but he, all the time he, he doesn't he need it. to I don't think because he's just got the clients that he wants to have and he gets on with it um you know, I, and again, I've, I've met Claude once in passing. I'm not, I don't know that as well. But um, those kind of names in a camp, the Harmons, Pete Cowan, I, I, they, they're going to bring a certain level of authority that sometimes these kids, for want of a better word, Rory isn't a kid, he's an adult and I get that, but he's a young guy compared to the experience of uh, the Harmons, say, or, or, or Pete Cowan you know, they will talk to him in a way where he has to go to work, possibly. It might help him focus. It's those kind of ideas, I think, which is what you were kind of touching on with what Claude and that and um, and certainly Butch might do for a player. The, the devil's always in the detail. I mean, it looks like Rory, just this is 2021, 2021 with 31 measured rounds. He's third in strokes gained off the tee, gaining 0.774. And then he is 82nd in you know, approach the green at 0.178, which, you know, I, I hate saying with that guy's swing, but with his swing, you know, back to 2017, just picking a number plus 0.322 the year before that, plus a half plus 0.42, you know, he probably isn't hitting his irons quite as well. He definitely seems like he's got himself into some sort of a little funk. 
I honestly don't even know who was his instructor before Pete. I don't oh, even it know. was um, the guy from Hollywood from his club that he grew up oh. with. I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna get this wrong, but it's something Bannon, I think. Mr. Bannon, I can't remember his first name, but it's his original coach that he grew up with. It's the classic, you know, don't change something that, why would I change something that works? He's helped me all my life and I'm going to keep using him. doesn't matter that I'm now this massive multi-million pound brand that wins majors. This guy still helps me. So, um, and he is still in the team, apparently. It was quite publicly stated that he is still his coach. He is still in the team. Um, last major, Lou, when was it? Do you know? 2014 at Valhalla was his last major. He's won four. He's played in 47 majors. He's won four. He hasn't won one since 2014, but he's won four of 47. And, and that's right at 8%. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a, that's pretty good win rate in majors. Um, and it's right about what his, uh, his win rate is overall for his career across all of his tournaments, which is really pretty typical of, of players. And, and we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be having the conversation if it, you know his majors came bunched in a few years, um, and we wouldn't be having the conversation if his majors were a little more spaced out, and if he yeah. would have won four over forty seven, and he and he won a major every three years over the, over the last ten or twelve years, um, we wouldn't be having the conversation that oh he hasn't won a major in a long time, therefore he's not playing well. Um, you have to look back at the entire career, and 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 it's very difficult to win any tournament, much less four specific tournaments every year. And, and just because he hasn't won one in a while, I, I don't put as much stock into that as other people do. Yeah, I, I understand that. But I, you could also understand why if he goes and wins four in, I don't know how many years, so his percent of major, you know, his percent wins would have been crazy back in 2014 then, wouldn't they? Uh, they would have been, but nobody's gonna. Nobody is going to maintain that, right? So yeah, but there's well, been a bar set at twenty something percent of Tiger, which he's looking at, and he's now only going to be disappointed that like, I'm not saying he can reach that bar or was going to reach that bar, but that's a bar that he would have been looking at, and at that point probably do you think in four in this period of time, like why can't I win ten? And the fact that he hasn't is only going to make him drive, well, hopefully, to get better, would it not? Yeah, it could, but his career is far from over, right? It's far from over. He's going to play in he's so many 31. more majors. <laughs> over, yeah, he's 31 years old. I it's mean, incredible. he's going to be competitive for a solid 10 to 12 years, potentially longer, um, and he's going to have a lot of other opportunities. How old was Mickelson when he won his first major? Like right, I have no I idea. Think. Yeah, so Rory is younger than Mickelson was when Mickelson won his first major. Yeah, Rory yeah. already has four, and he probably will add to it most likely. But to think that Rory ever had a chance at catching Tiger, yeah, I, 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 I would never assume that. Um, no, but that wasn't my point. I don't mean that. But as in, when the bars at twenty, you know, at the bars at a twenty percent win rate, and back then, let's say yeah. the bars at what, however many majors he had in two thousand and fourteen. I don't know how many it was. Um, Seven years ago, twenty eight majors ago, in theory, he's probably running really, really high in that win rate in that twenty, twenty five, thirty percent range. Who Unsustainable. Is, who that would have been Rory. He's seven years ago. I'm assuming he's played most of the majors. Yeah, yeah. So that's roughly twenty eight majors ago. So he wins four of his first, you know, however many. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, but I mean, he would have been looking at that tiger bar thinking, I, you know, even if I don't get there, I, I'm on a track at the moment that I could push up to be, you know, much noticeably higher than other major winners. I um, think the thing with, with that I was just not saying he a, should have. I'm just saying you know, that's what he, you would look that way. I mean, I don't think I don't know a human who wouldn't look at that top bar at the speed he took off that. I just think that Rory seems like a really nice guy. I've only walked, uh, I think I've walked two practice rounds with him before, um, you know, in the same group, obviously not with him. And he just seems like a really nice guy. And I always think that all of this talk about the greatest of all time, I, I just wonder how much, like he wants to be great and wants to be a hall of famer. And I'm sure, but he just seems like a good dude. Who's like, you know what? I'm trying, man. And I'm kind of in a funk. I, all the talk about, his win rate being higher or lower or anything is all in reference to being considered in the greatest of all time conversation. And I just wonder if truly like in his heart, if he actually, if that's his goal, if he actually cares about that, I've never heard him personally say, you know, that's, I want to be the greatest of all time. I think he just wants to like genuinely challenge himself as a human and play as good as he can. And then also not take it so serious to where he goes into some of the pitfalls we've seen some other great players work themselves <laughs> into when yeah, stuff yeah. goes wrong in their life. He just seems like a genuinely happy, nice guy. I mean, again, the, the one time I walked to practice, one of them was in the 2018 US Open at Aaron Hills. And he doesn't know me from Adam. And he's actually interacting with me, asking some questions about like, I've got my packet. We're out there with a couple of my players and you know, what's going on. Tell me about this. Like, he didn't have to do that. And, and yeah. he just yeah, seems no, like a nice guy. Yeah, well, he is. There's no front to Rory. He is Rory. He is what you see. He's just is an ordinary, very nice, well brought up young man who's really good at golf. I mean, he definitely is any of the time I've been lucky enough to spend with him, which has been small. He's just been so genuine and honest and upfront, which has always been a pleasure. Rory, if you're listening, uh, I'm the only one on this pod you haven't spent time with. So I'm, I'm open. <laughs> Just uh, have your people call my people. <laughs> hey, the one time that I spent time with him, he literally was asking me the question. So what is this about 65 yards? And I'm explaining that to him. If you remember, then that's in the press conference when he says there's 55 yards out there between most of these areas. And then they mowed it down and then he still missed the cut. So apparently <laughs> my time with him was totally useless. <laughs> but, you know, I want to go back to expectations on Rory early in his career. So over his first five seasons on the PGA tour, he played in 69 events and he won six of them, right? Less than 10%. And to, to think he would have been in the same type of stratosphere as Tiger, who was clipping along at, you know, nearly 25% is just, um, it's not fair to compare players to Tiger and what Tiger was doing because it was so far above what anybody else was. And he won, uh, uh, Rory won four of his first 24 majors that he played in as a professional. So he won one out of six of the majors that he played in. Uh, he just happened to get on a little bit of a streak with the majors. Um, and kind of like Faldo. Oh, oh <laughs> you love that one, don't you? <laughs> like Faldo. And Rory might have a few more if he had people fold up and just give it to him, like happened to Faldo. I will say that the one Masters, I wonder how much the Masters did like dent him a little bit. I mean, that was pretty brutal. I don't remember what his lead was there on 10, but he 
had that thing in the bag, didn't he, on Sunday? He, he, well, you never have anything in the bag, but yeah, he, he hit it in a place that we didn't know existed. <laughs> <laughs> got to the, the there there were lodges lot, down there. What was that? <laughs> that was in uh, what? That was 2011, though, right? When did I he do that? Feels like it. Yeah, yeah and so, he, so he, he won majors after. But that, he though, yeah, he won major. the very next major he played in, right? Didn't he win? He won the U.S. Open in 2011. I don't I don't have it up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it was 2011 that he won the U.S. Open and. And that Masters tee shot was a few months before that in 2011. So I would say he recovered pretty well from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or I, so could, what, be, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't, you're not normally wrong, Lou, but if you are, I'm sure someone will point right out. Right on the year, it's 2011. I'm sitting here looking at it right now. Yeah, 20, there you go. How long uh, before we start to see the effect of his swing coach? Like, how long are we giving him? I don't, I, you know, this is always a really interesting you know, I love conversation with me. Yeah. Because I'm of the opinion that that coaches um, Steady, are, uh, careful. <laughs> that coaches um, don't make a whole lot of difference to players at his level. And I and I really feel like you know, players that are just elite for whatever reason, there's a lot of different ways to swing a golf club. Uh, and for every player you look at, there's just a different way to swing it. But a lot of the elite players, they do a lot of things correct that you need to do correct. They just get to that delivery in a, in a little different way. And I know I'm kind of butchering the explanation and I, and I, and I know Crossfield, you would explain it much better than I am well, as I a coach that does this every day. But, you know, I think about um, my daughter, her first year in the PGA, in the junior program at the place, at the club we were at. And a lot of the kids, you know, the tee box is full of kids that a lot of them are there for the first time and they've really never swung a club before. Uh, and, and the guy and the people that were out there trying to managing it, uh, they were just trying to make sure that, you know, nobody got hit in the face with a club with a backswing, but you could stand back there as a parent and you could look at all these kids up and down the range. And I knew a lot of the parents that were there and, uh, you know, your kid ever play before now it's really the first time. And you could just see the, the, that some kids for whatever reason, they just had, and I don't want to call it a natural ability. They just, for whatever dumb luck, they just happened to pick up a golf club and swing it in a way that was already relatively optimal. And then there were other kids that were more like me where they would pick up a golf club and they would swing it in a way where, you know, Crossfield's going to look at that and you're going to, you're going to start to twitch a little bit and you're going to go, no, 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 no. That's not really what we want to do. So I think a lot of players that are really good for whatever reason, whatever luck of the draw, they would pick up a golf club and their first motion, their natural motion was just relatively pretty sound. Right. And then it's just, it's, it, it's going from there. And obviously it takes a lot of effort to get really skilled and talented. But I, I think that there's some players that just have a move that is just um, going to make them more likely to be an elite player. I don't know. Did, am I way off on that? No, there are no, clearly you're people. Not, you're not so. Zalatoris, his golf swing has not changed in 12 years. I mean, his swing was what it is at 12, 14, 17, I actually was going back trying to find this other YouTube video that I had posted a long time ago. And I came across, I posted a swing of his the before the third round of the 2014 Texas amateur. And it is literally identical to a swing today. It's just incredible. You're, you're right. And I mean, I don't think that it, I don't think that it's wrong to say there's just some people that are more talented. I mean, you have I don't a kid. know that that's more, I don't know that it's talent though. 
I just it think is. it's there's just no, people that are more coordinated quicker and I, and I don't know if it's coordinated, right? Because there's some of those kids that were out there that they were phenomenal athletes in other sports, right? Really good athletes in other sports, but would pick up a golf club and the move that they would make with the club was just horrific, right? It just, just bad, plain out bad. Crossfield seen my swing. I don't have a very good golf swing, but I was a good athlete in other sports, never at an elite, elite level, but, but I was not as fundamentally poor um, in other sports as I am with the golf swing. And for whatever reason, I just uh, do things really awkwardly, but um, I, I didn't have the, uh, I guess, the talent to do oh, it. So, yeah, it's a question then on this. We're, we're digressing a little bit, but I agree. I mean, how long will it will we see the effects of Pete Can? I totally hear and I kind of agree with what you're saying there, Lou, with elite athletes. If we'll ever see the effect, which could be measured it's well it, that's the beauty that's that's the thing with golf coaching that i've always struggled with all my life um it's those pictures of their coach stood next to their major winners like you know going thumbs up like my major winner and i like question for you both um let's take dj would he not just have trended the direction he's trended if he had no coach you know once he got to a certain level so once he's playing He's on the PGA Tour. Would he have trended to what he has trended now without that coach that he uses or maybe even a different coach? I don't think so because DJ, again, this is just from a conversation with Butch and it's just out there. DJ was always trying to hit the ball straight. And once Butch basically talked him into putting a little shape on the ball so we'd have a predictable shot shape, that's when DJ started making his leap from good to great. And so, okay. We- so stop you there. Stop you there then. So I, you, I'm sure, pretty sure you're not going to have the answer to this, which then makes that statement questionable. What year was he told to stop trying to hit it straight? And how has his win percentage changed since that year? I on feel like it was 2012 ish, 2011, 12, somewhere in there. Cause I've listened to Butch talk. I think, I think it was the 20. 20- Can you crunch some numbers quickly, Lou? You can you can literally see it when he started winning consistently it, it, again because this was the first year that I spoke at the college convention was like 2016 and and Butch spoke also and I was able to talk to him for just a little bit after and it was part of his speech too talking about DJ putting a little shape on and I went back and looked at it because it was it had to be in like oh 12 13 14 oh, oh, 11 or 12 or 13. Um, and you could, you could just, and that might just be, he just started getting better. But DJ himself has even said, once I started hitting a fade, I started knowing what was coming. And my point with all that is, it's not that D, that, that Butch gave him some swing key, but he talked him into, this is how you play the game. So yeah. I don't know if that's the same question you're asking, but I don't know that DJ would have ever figured that out on his own, that, hey, I'm going to play a better golf if I put a predictable shape on this ball, as opposed to, just trying to hit it dead straight. I mean, I do think that that is the shift that made DJ who he is. I I don't I don't know if I agree with that. No. I, Have I, you got I any numbers on that. that, Lou? How many well, events he won I, prior to? Well, yeah, I can. I have it here. That? Yeah. So starting in 2008, these are just his victories in 2008 and and after one one two one one. So that's 2012. He won one, and then we get. One in 2013, one in 2014, one in 2015, three in 2016, four in 2017, three in 2018, 
one in 19, three in 20, and one in 21. I think the bigger, and when you look at his top tens, his top tens, um, they started to really get better in like 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Um, and then they, and they still stayed pretty strong um, in 19 and 20, even with uh, less events that we played. I think the the bigger shift is in his wedge game. Like, I don't remember when he made the shift where he said he just became a much better wedge player. He's talking about that data that, in, definitely. in front of me, but I remember looking at the data and I remember seeing a big shift in his wedge performance. And I think that big shift was around 2015, 2016. So I think that his bigger shift was when he got much better with his wedges. That's and then, what I, that's and what then I obviously in the coach's defense, it might have been Butch who analyzed his wedge play from the data that they've got from Shotlink and just working with him and said, look, your wedge play's got to get better. And that's something they worked on that made him get better. So again, the effects were seen via his coach. Yeah. And I think, I think at that level, I think coaches make a bigger difference to players like me um, uh, as far as actual, the, the physical fundamentals of the game. I think coaches at elite levels, they make more of a difference on the mental side. And I think they make more of a difference on um, helping to guide them on what they actually need to work on. I forget, Scott, I think you told a story about, was it Justin Rose um, where, and I don't remember who told it or where it was from, but Rose thought he was a, a, a bad short game player, I think is what it was. Um, I don't think and, I told that story, but I think I know the story you're talking yeah. about. I feel like I've read the same one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know who it was. I don't know who, what coach he was working with, but they, they looked at the numbers and they said, you realize you're like the second best short game player in the world. Like, what, what are you talking about? That's not what you need to work on. And I think players, even at that level, they, without actual data, they have their own confirmation bias around what they think they're good at and what oh, they totally. think they're bad at. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that's where, um, you, you know, a good coach is going to actually remove that by looking at actual numbers, looking at actual data, knowing how to interpret that, knowing what it all means, and then pro providing good guidance on, on areas that they should work on um, as opposed to just doing it anecdotally based on how they feel. I say it all the time that I use the data more to convince people they're better than they think they are than to convince them where they need to work. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. yeah for I sure. Do. I mean, that's, that's for sure. I, I use shot link and strokes gain and data to, to make them understand they're not as bad as they think they are. I do think, you know, because I'm sitting here going back there as you're talking, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, the strokes gain driving, except for 2013, has been pretty high and pretty consistent. But I do believe also there's just some flaws in strokes gained with not counting some stuff correctly because I believe his penalty rate went down. Again, I do not remember the numbers. It's been way too many years, too many beers and too much COVID since then. But mm. I remember at the time going back, I think it was the 2016 college coaches convention. I remember going back and it, and it, it, it lined up to me, but I also agree with what you're saying because he talks about using track man and working on his wedge game and everything. My point was more that, I don't know that DJ, whether it's the driver or the wedges, I'm not sure that he would have figured out on his own. I I, I do think good coaches and, and can. Is there not just a part of the fact that he's getting better? No I mean, doubt. Out there more. Like this is where it's unmeasurable to a certain extent. And this is where I believe some coaches really do dine out on these kind of 
deaths they're accidental victories almost do you know what i mean they're like they're they're happening just because you're in the right place oh. more than you are the influencing factor but it's pretty that's... convenient for me that will zalatoris just happened to grow up at my home course yeah it's pretty convenient for me that bryson deschambeau happened to go to college in my hometown i do believe that what i taught them was instrumental in both of them making a shift but since then, I mean, I get guys like, you know, Maverick or Doug Redman or whoever. Well, you get, I've got a lot of people coming to me at this point. So yeah, I'm probably going to be able to just sit back and for the next few years, if you hate me, it's going to probably be a rough few years because I got more coming. Like yeah, yeah. It, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point and you'd have to be really arrogant to not, to not be able to recognize that, which there's plenty of that out there too. I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when will we see the effects uh, with Cowan on Rory? I'm not sure we ever will or if we will. And then if we can even assign them to the work they've done together. At the end of the day, for me, the only person who can really is Rory. If Rory comes out and wins and starts saying, look, the work me and Pete are doing is brilliant. I feel great. He's helped me with this. He makes me feel like this. Then that's a win, isn't well, it? That's a Rory win. Rory specifically, a couple of years ago, I don't remember when it was or even which putting coach it was he went to, but Ten he got a... he went to. Huh? He went to Phil, didn't he? Went to Phil I don't Phil remember. Phil. I know, maybe. He went to a putting coach and he won that week. And everyone was talking about, wow, that's amazing. He won the, you know, he putted great the week. I'm like, or that's just, he happened to have variants. Everybody uses, there's a ton of people using a new coach every single week. He just had a little bit of positive variance. Tell me what he does for the next six months, and then we'll see if it yeah, worked. And exactly. it was just a hot week that was very convenient and coincidental. Obviously, if it was Phil, Phil's an incredible putting instructor. He went to Stockton as well, didn't he? He went, yeah, he went I mean, to Stockton publicly as well, I think. But I agree. It, it's lots of people dining out on a bit of variance going their way, basically, isn't there, in the old golf tall coach world i always think have i just said that publicly <laughs> you you have you know the one thing that we didn't talk Lucky about I edit uh, yeah, these, isn't it? <laughs> exactly uh it, we, we didn't talk about rory um saying how chasing distance impacted him in a negative way yeah well um, that's where maybe a coach can really help him focus possibly yeah, and I guess what I wanted to comment around that is Rory is he's, he's a pretty good golfer. If you're yeah, he's familiar not bad, with him. is he? He's um, not bad. This is the kind of content you tune in for, yeah. folks. And, and <laughs> he's, he's kind of he's, based discussion. He's pretty good off the tee. If, if you didn't know, you know, about Rory, he's arguably one of the best players off the tee with the driver the game has ever seen. Um, he's that good. Him and Bubba are way up there. Um, yeah. And he tried to chase distance and he's seen a little bit of a fall off. And to me, it shows you and it, it, it hopefully it gives you more appreciation um, for what Bryson did. Um, what Bryson did is, is astounding to be able yeah. to gain that much speed, play at that level and still keep the ball in play and as accurate as he was before he chased all that distance. Um, it's amazing that he's able to do that. And it, it goes to show you that the arguably Rory McIlroy is one of the best drivers of the golf ball the game has ever seen. 
and he struggled trying to chase distance, it shows you how challenging it is to chase distance and how much skill you need to be able to add that much speed to your game and still be able to compete at an elite level. But if you do it in an organized manner, exactly. it can this is be where done. The coach, this is where the coach, again, can really shine through, doesn't it? If Rory's just chasing distance because he's seeing what Brighton's doing and he, he knows he can go up another level in speed and he's going to go out there and basically... I'm going to go and see if I can play like this. Well, yeah, that's not a test, is it? I mean, he's how many rounds has he actually competitively played trying to do that? Again, you need more rounds to know if that's going to work or not. There's just better ways of testing that, for one, and there's better ways of building it. You just don't start swinging harder. I think that's the key that I want to make sure everybody – got two keys I want everyone to take away from this. You don't just go out and start swinging harder. You have to build the infrastructure. They Bryson did that for six or nine months before they then start amping up, you know, just swinging harder. And the second point is, I actually am a huge Nick Faldo fan. I love the guy, in case he ever listens to this. I really do have a huge fan of it. I can't believe how much blowback I got on that on Twitter. It was all a joke. And if you're listening, Nick, I'm always a fan of yours. I actually watched your swing in this studio that was on a loop for like two hours one day. So I am a Faldo fan. Where has that come from, Lou? That just popped in at yeah, the end. It's like this little con little uh, head. I figured this we were wrapping this up. In the back of Scott's I thought head. we were wrapping yeah. this up and I made a note that I wanted to say that because I do give the well, because you like if these people are taking this out of context, I just want people to know I actually do love Faldo. Even if you did say that he was lucky to win his majors earlier no, on. No, it was lucky the weeks that he got hot for it. <laughs> so I've, I've gained a lot of speed and earlier I extended that invitation to Rory to hang out with me is to make me feel part of the club. So I'm happy to, to give him the knowledge that I got in my speed chasing journey. Exactly. I, it, it might the be pitfalls. the tipping point. It could be the tipping point for him. And after <laughs> that, he, he might be able to be a better driver of the golf ball. Lou yeah, gained 20 go. miles an hour. Imagine if Rory gains 20. Oh, yeah, right wowzers. There. Stand by your beds. He'll wreck the game if he does that. From yeah, that bombshell. Thank exactly. you for everybody listening. Thanks, guys. As always, always a fun chat. Um, let us know uh, with a review what you think of Rory's um, pairing up with Pete Karen or hit us up on our social Call channels. me, Rory. Call me, yeah. Rory. And can someone please get Rory just to tweet at Lou to give him... So he feels like he's in the I group. love Rory. He's my he's my favorite golfer on the planet, so... He might be one of my great. He's, he's next, definitely top Next week's three. guest apparently is going to be Nick Faldo, I think. Is that what he's called? No, we got Brandel Chambly, though. Uh, uh, <laughs> there we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, yeah, remember to leave a review down below and to subscribe if you're not already subscribed to the podcast. Thanks for listening and good luck, Rory.